0: What's up, Metiches? You are listening to Como la flor con flor, and I actually have a guest. Whoop. Um, so it's a little noisy in here because we're actually at a little cafe by our house. Uh, I'm gonna let my guest introduce yourself. What's up, people? I'm Megan from the Fitness Files. And thanks for joining us, Megan. So my last segment was talking about my mom's breast cancer and how unfortunately that had to happen for my relationship with her to kind of get to a healthy spot. Um, Unfortunately, the both of us had to kind of hit rock bottom for us to heal from the trauma that I experienced with her upbringing, being physically and verbally abusive. And then you messaged me, um, kind of sharing a little bit about your experience, and I'm Grateful that you were open to being a guest and being vulnerable about your experience. So I'll let you go ahead and share. It.
1: Okay. So yeah, after I listened to your episode, I like I couldn't stop thinking about it. I was in my feels all day long because it like resonated with me on a really big, deep level. Um, actually, it was something I had been thinking about for the past couple weeks. Um, I had unexpectedly found out that my uncle had passed away and it had kind of spiraled me into this idea of, you know, my mom and our relationship and the fact that, you know, I didn't think it was ever going to be healed because of her various, you know, addictions, problems um, that she was unwilling to address. And because she's unwilling to address them, you know, like I had to set my own boundaries where I kind of have my relationship with her in a super, super limited fashion for my own mental health and for my own just well-being. And when I was listening to your episode, I couldn't help but like feel really happy for you that you and your mom were able to heal that relationship, but also like feel very sad for myself that I was never going to experience having a relationship with my mom in that way because I don't think she'll ever get to a place where she could apologize like your mom was able to do because that's a really hard thing for a parent to do to reflect on how they treated their children and, and not only like say shit I was wrong but then take it a step farther and say I was wrong and I'm sorry that I hurt you and I love you and I want to do better and be better and then actually being better so that's kind of where I was in my headspace after listening to your episode, um, because my relationship with my mom is so complicated, and it's fraught with, um, growing up having, not only having an abusive mom, but, not only was she abusive, but she was also an addict, and I think her addiction stemmed from a lot of undiagnosed, like, mental health, you know, um, If I rely on my Google medical degree, (laughs) I would even take a step out and like venture and say my mom definitely has like a case of bipolar disorder that she then used first alcohol, but then it led into prescription pills to self-medicate. And you know, I know my mom did the best she could and I constantly remind myself that addiction is a disease. You know, like your mom went to chemotherapy to heal her cancer. Um, try and treat her cancer, heal is the wrong word, what else. Um, but to try and treat her cancer and to find that place where she could live healthy even though she's kind of living on edge. Um, and my mom's addiction is something that she like refuses to even acknowledge. Um, and I mean she's been in and out of rehab a few times growing up, but she doesn't admit that she has a problem, right? So like that's the first step. Um I think the hardest part for me is not that she's unwilling to admit that she has a problem with her addiction, is that she's unwilling to admit the damage she did to me as a child, but then carrying into that as a young adult. And if you, I mean, maybe you can relate to this, right? Like growing up, you see healthy mother-daughter relationships, and you had a pretty healthy-ish relationship with your dad, and you had your dad as a person to fall back on and I always felt the loss of not having an adult figure in my life who I knew unconditionally loved me or would be there for me or take care of me Um, and I was the oldest sister so as the oldest sister I had to be that person for my younger sisters which definitely changes the trajectory of your childhood and it changes who you are navigating into an adult and it leaves you with all this Hurt and like inability to trust and all of these factors that impact your future as not just an adult but as a parent so woo (laughs) take
0: some take a sip of that coffee girl yes (laughs) woo
1: okay (laughs) so guide me, direct me lead me
0: so well, how do you think your childhood and experiencing this abusive relationship with your mom? Uh, how do you think it manifested into you, Megan, as an adult, who, parent, even wife?
1: So, um, yeah, as an adult, I am the biggest adult pleaser that I know. And it is terrible. (laughs) Uh, I am the person. And people take advantage of that, right? When they know you're going to say yes, you become their go-to for everything. So I am constantly being taken advantage of by people in my life and in my realm because they know I'm going to say yes. And that all stems back to wanting adults to love and appreciate me as a kid Mm -hmm. and not getting that. So now, as an adult, I look for that in people with authority figure roles, um, and I look for their acceptance, and I look for their acknowledgement, kind of. Um, I also have a terrible time trusting people, and that definitely um, really, really impacted my relationship with my husband. Um, You know, we've been together since we were babies (laughs) like literal babies um since I was 16 and um our first probably 10 years of our relationship was very tumultuous because of that um and it didn't help that I had my son when I was 20 so you know well no that's not being the youngest mom ever like that's young as fuck like 20 years old like I didn't know shit about anything in life And now I have a baby, like a whole damn baby that I need to take (laughs) care of. I didn't know what to do. Um, And then it created this world where now I'm raising kids. And I'm still not healed from what I went through. And I don't really know how to be a mom because I never had someone show me that. And I don't really know you know, how to effectively handle situations with kids because no one showed me that. Like, you know, my mom's response to shit for me was to, you know, beat the fuck out of me and then take everything away from me and lock me in my room for, you know, however long she felt necessary or, um, so like navigating, having kids. And I think this is just a parent thing also, but I think it's amplified by my experiences constantly thinking you're fucking up and failing because you know I didn't have a role model for what to do so everything I feel like I do is wrong and it probably isn't you know (laughs) like I mean I know I'm I'm doing the best I can um and then I think the last thing was is that I had it took me about 10 years to learn how to deal with my emotions in a healthy way and I think I still still on some sense learn and learning that um but in the beginning, I was very angry. I was very hurt, and I was manifesting that hurt and anger. So, you know, anything could send me off the rail, and I was just livid and cussing and angry and, like, slamming. And when my oldest son, who's now 17, holy shit, <laughs> um, was about two, like, I started to look at how I was reacting in front of him, and... and realizing that like okay no I'm not hurting him and I'm not being abusive but like is that the environment I wanted him to grow up in and so when I started to fix my anger issues the opposite happened though because then I started to feel like I couldn't show him any emotion and I always had to be mom and be happy and whatever you need and so I couldn't figure out that healthy balance of My own emotional well-being as a mom in a healthy way so I feel like right now what ended up as a result is that for a while my kids always just expected anything they need that their mom was gonna do it and for a while they forgot that I was a human being and a person also because I was so focused on putting everyone else before myself Because I went to, you know, that side of the spectrum of, in order to be good, in order to be a good parent, I had to put everyone else before me, which led to a whole variety of things as a result. Mm.
0: So you went from you feeling like you were being super aggressive to being completely passive?
1: Yes, and I could not figure out, like, a balance of, hey, it's okay for your kids to see you upset it's okay for your kids to see you sad, or overwhelmed, or even angry, like, in a healthy way, like, those are okay, like, because those are feelings, right, like, and they need to learn how to navigate those feelings, and I need, as their parent, to teach them how to navigate those feelings, and I wasn't for a while teaching them that, because I was just bottling my own feelings up, so as a result, they thought, okay, well, like, mom's a fucking robot, cool, like, make me some mac and cheese, bitch, like, <laughs> <laughs> not mac <make> and cheese, <laughs> the mac and cheese, um, yeah.
0: So, um, you keep using, like, past tense, so I'm assuming something changed at some point.
1: Yeah, I think I had, um, kind of a breaking point with myself. I, this was about, mm, four-ish years ago, I started to look at, like, my life, And like, I know that sounds super like, (laughs) (laughs) I I was having a giant existential crisis and I didn't even recognize it, Um, but it started to manifest first in my weight because I had for so long been putting everyone before myself that like I was legit overweight, unhealthy, miserable, and I was so depressed. Like I couldn't get out of bed. I was crying all the time. And I went to my doctor, because I was like, okay, hi, hello, like, fix me, there's something wrong, <laughs> and she's like, yeah, there's something wrong, like, you're depressed, <clears throat> um, you know, you you need to take care of yourself, like, you're not taking care of yourself, and I was like, yes, I am, like, what do you mean? Um, and that led me to start to think about, okay, like, listen, bitch, in four or five years, your kids are going to be whole-ass adults on this journey of their life on their own, and like, you know they might leave the house, go off to college, do whatever, and, like, what do you have left? Who are you going to smother, you know, now? Like, my husband, Jose, like, I mean, don't get me wrong, he'd probably love that. He'd be like, yes, (laughs) give me all the attention, make me all the food, um, but, like, I didn't have an identity anymore, so, like, that was super hard to, like, sit and think about that. I'm you know, in my early thirties and I don't even know what I fucking like or who I am or what I was going to do. Like I went to school all day long and I was teacher. And you know, when you're a teacher, you always have to be on. And then I came home and all night I was mom and I was always on, but I was never just Megan. Like I was never just myself. Um, so I just kind of like tried to get my shit together. (laughs) Um, and just start to like ask myself questions and, ask myself like okay what do you want like what do you want out of your life and I started by just taking time for myself to go to the gym and work out and prioritize my own needs and say like hey I'm not making dinner tonight because I'm gonna go take this class at the gym or hey I need someone to wash the dishes because I'm gonna go do this and it probably took an entire year for everyone in my house to like realize that it was okay But for probably the first six months where I started to put myself first, like everyone, including my husband, was like, What are you doing? Like, you're being selfish. And I mean, first of all, I wasn't being selfish, but also, second of all, it's okay to be selfish. Like, we deserve to be selfish also. So, but I I never knew how to navigate that conversation because for so long I was just this passive aggressive, not even passive aggressive, just passive robot in my house just doing whatever to keep the peace because that's what I thought I needed
0: Which not fucking hate it the first thing is like why are you being selfish yeah
1: <laughs> I was like what the fuck <laughs> like I mean because it it gets in your head and like for me like I said I'm an adult pleaser like I'm a people pleaser I want everyone to be happy so I started to like think like man I am being selfish like what and I had to like bitch check myself like no you're not like you're asking to take two hours of the day out of 24 hours you're asking for two hours not even sometimes to do something for yourself like you do everything for everyone else like you deserve two hours when they take two hours for themselves you don't hesitate right you don't think they're selfish you're just like yeah cool rock on like do you you know but I think it's just, like, the stigma as women sometimes that when we prioritize ourselves or our own needs or our own desires that we're looked down upon because we're not meeting these, like, maternal or womanly roles. And it's like, no, fuck that. Like, I'm sorry, it's 2022. Fuck that. Like, if it's cool for me to go work every single day and and it's cool for me to have my paycheck, then it's cool for me to spend time on myself also.
0: Well, yeah, and you being an educator, you're giving all day long and then where you work at you're working with under-resourced communities you have students coming in with traumas of their own and you're having to deal with that on top of teaching them content and then you get home and you still have to give some more so like who the fuck is giving to you
1: yeah and it's fucking exhausting (laughs) like don't get me wrong people who have physical jobs like I probably couldn't do it right like I mean that sucks too but the emotional and mental exhaustion of being an educator in general. I mean, you literally don't have time to to think some days and you just have to be on constantly and it's go, go, go. Like, I mean, there are days I'm trying not to pee my pants because I'm so busy that I can't even get to the bathroom, let alone your processing, you know, keeping the kids engaged and teaching them. But also you have kids who need to talk to you. Or you're worried about students because, you know, something's going on in their lives that you're aware of. And, yeah, it's exhausting. It, like, mentally will wipe you out. But then you have to go home and find, you know, I don't know, dig really fucking deep to find any shred of, like, excitement to be here at home and now be on again. Like, no, fuck that. That's too much. So.
0: And then you still get to the why. I
1: still teach cycling, like a <laughs> psychopath. <laughs> well, and then sometimes, too, like, that becomes exhausting because I'm back on, right? Like, no one wants to go to some whack-ass class where the fucking instructor is like, all right, get on your bikes, like, I'm depressed, we're going to listen to this sad-ass song, <laughs> just pedal bitches, like, right? Like, I mean, so... Pedal your feelings Pedal your feelings. Let it out. Like, people be like, what the (laughs) fuck? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Maybe there's a niche, like, emotional cycling. I highly doubt (laughs) that. There might be. But, like, yeah, you know, it's, like, sometimes then to have to put on another facade of, like, okay, now I'm at the Y, and now I'm, like, fitness instructor. Like, yay, let's go. When all I want to do is, like, go my ass to bed and, um... You know, I mean, I think that's a level of mental exhaustion that I underestimated. So it's hard to always be on. Yeah.
0: Do you feel like your experiences as a child, having to subjugate your feelings, experiencing that abuse from your mom, the neglect, do you feel like any of that had a role with you choosing to be an educator
1: um I don't think I had necessarily I, I originally didn't even want to be a fucking teacher <laughs> <laughs> so what did you want to be I wanted to be an editor like oh. a book editor um yeah like I don't know that's a whole nother different topic right like <laughs> I was 18 years old trying to decide my fucking life I changed my major like three times I couldn't figure it out what I wanted to be because I was 18, like shit. I didn't know. How dare you um, not know? <laughs> right.
0: Your brain wasn't even fully developed I know. yet.
1: know. Like what the fuck? But then add on top of that, when I was 18, my my mom kicked me out of the house. Mm-hmm. So for about six months, I was homeless. Um, I was living in my car, and um, I would stay every now and again, like with a cousin. Um, but eventually, Jose's Jose's family took me in. Um, so. I was making these really big adult life-changing decisions working part-time at Dairy Queen and enjoying fabrics (laughs) living in my car and I couldn't think like what I wanted to do with my life because all I was thinking about was like how am I gonna survive like what the fuck like it was really hard um and I was ashamed because I didn't really tell people about, like, my family growing up. Like, if you would ask people from my past, like, anything about my family or me or my mom, like, they had no idea. They had no idea because my mom put on this facade of being, like, super mom. And she would, you know, go to school functions. And, I mean, she was shit-faced wasted, but, like, people had no idea. And, um, they thought she was, like, this great mom. And... My dad, in this situation, was just very passive because their relationship was so toxic. Um, And my mom was so manipulative that he did not want to fight with her. So to avoid fighting with her, he let her do whatever to keep the peace. So I, I changed my major like 15 times. And then I eventually was like, you know what? I love books like I've loved books my whole entire life it was the one thing that no one could ever take away from me like growing up as a kid no matter what I was going through I could grab a book and I could lose myself in that that person's story and it made me feel like I wasn't alone because I was so alone so much and um i was like i'm going to major in english i'm gonna major in english (laughs) the fuck i wish someone would have been like okay great like you like english but what are you gonna do with that shit because in my mind i'm like i'm gonna go i'm gonna edit books and i'm gonna get to read books all day and like fix all the errors fix all the mistakes it's gonna be great it's gonna be wonderful um yeah well no one told 18 year old megan that like that's not how the industry works baby (laughs) so um After I graduated with my bachelor's in English, it was professional English writing, I had a double major in social work. And so I was trying to figure out what to do with my life and what to do with my degree because at the time that I graduated from college, it was 2007, and everyone and their mama was graduating with these bachelor's degrees, and no one could find jobs because all of us kids graduating in the early 2000s all were kind of told, like, no you have to go to college. And we went to college, but, like, okay, what's next? Like, we didn't know. Um, And I was a first-generation college student. No one in my family had ever gone to college before. So I had no one to guide me, even if my family was, like, perfect and not fucked. Like, I had no one to guide me. I had no one to ask. So I started working all these little, like, odd jobs. Um, One of the little odd jobs that I worked, I was writing obituaries. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) And, um... I feel like it's just like a spiral. Yeah. <laughs> so I was writing obituaries, and I was also um, teaching SAT, ACT prep classes. So I would go like from around in different local private high schools, who paid all these buttloads of money because you know the privileged kids get all the fucking best to get SAT, ACT classes. And when I was there one afternoon, it was after school, and the principal was like walking around, and she stopped. And she was, like, listening to me teach, and I was like, the fuck? Like, did I say something wrong? You know, I'm 22 years old. I don't know what the fuck I'm saying. I don't know what I'm doing. So after I was done teaching this SAT prep class, she was waiting for me outside the room, and she was like, are you, like, a licensed teacher? And I was like, no. Like, (laughs) God, no. (laughs) And she was like, you should be. And I was like, what? No, you're crazy. Like, I'm just doing this because I need money, and it's nice having a part-time gig. I have a baby, like... She's like, no, like, I'm telling you, you should be. So by this time I had my oldest son, he was three. And then I had Adrian who was like fresh baby newborn ish. And she was like, when you are ready, like when you have gotten it through your head that I'm right, here's my number, call me. So this was in May and I couldn't get what she said out of my head. Like, I was like, what? Like, what? And you know, I was shocked. Um, Q to, like, early August of that same year, I reached out to her, and I was like, all right, I think I'm ready. And she's like, cool, come in for an interview. And she hired me on the spot. And nice. I started teaching that August. Let me tell you, my first year of teaching, I had no fucking clue what to do. <laughs> <laughs> I was terrible. Um, all of that to say is, like, my childhood did not lead me to being a teacher, but my childhood shaped me into being the teacher that I am because I can recognize that my students they don't fucking need me to teach them how to read and fucking write right like yeah of course they do right like the content it's whatever Um, my students need me to help them be better people and they need me to encourage them and they need me to see them and all of that shit is so much more important than if they learn how to read a novel or write the perfect essay like of course I want them to learn some skills with me but I always tell my kids at the beginning of the year like at the end of the year I hope I have taught you something right? right like whatever it is I hope I've taught you something but I hope when you leave this room you know that I believe in you and I love you and like I'm always here for you and I feel like that's more important because for some of my students, they're not getting that. And I just know that had I heard that as a kid in such a terrible situation, that would have made a big difference to me. Mm-hmm. So.
0: Do your kids know, like your biological children, do they know about your childhood and and you being homeless for a while and all that?
1: Um they know parts. They know parts of my story. Um, they know why we don't really talk to my mom or see my mom. Um, my kids probably see my mom like once a year. Um, if my sisters invite her to like one of their events or whatever, like they might see her there. Um, so you like, I always tell my boys like, you know, remember you're going to see my mom, your grandma. Um, You know, she might say things to you that confuse you, like, remember she's not well, like, um, they know she's an alcoholic, they know she's abusive, she was abusive, um, they don't know to what extent. Um, I have talked to, especially my oldest son, a lot about, um, some of the things I went through, but I don't think that either one of them really know because I don't know I never felt like it was a right time like I have told them both like you know growing up like shit was terrible like and sometimes I do it in like a way that's probably super annoying for them right because I'm like saying like you have it so good (laughs) you know like they're probably like okay mom whatever yeah what blah 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 like my story to them is probably like our version of hearing like I had to walk to school barefoot like shit like Mm that um I just don't think that they would ever be able to truly understand what it looks like, so. Maybe in
0: a few years when they're a little older, they'll, they'll be able to understand.
1: And I've shared like different pieces of things, like Adrian, my youngest, he's a little bit more intuitive. Um, so there are times where he will ask like, very specific questions like, oh, what about this? Like, you know, um, we were talking for example about senior night at my school. And I was telling him, you know, like, I want to make sure that I go to senior night. And he's like, why? And I was like, well, because there's always sometimes parents or family members who can't be there for kids at senior night. And I like to make sure I'm there. So if they need someone to walk with them, they have someone. And um, he was like, oh, like, why? And I was like, well, because I remember my senior night and I had no one there, you know. So, like, a, a basketball player at senior night, like, walked with me, but, like, I had no adult there for me, and, like, that was really sad, and then he was, like, oh, you know, so, like, he's more intuitive, he thinks along the lines of, like, asking more questions, whereas my oldest right now is just super, like, jaded, and he's, like, whatever, you know, like, he's not ready to, to hear the conversation, I think, just because he's 17, and he's caught up in his own, yeah, whatever, realm, <laughs> realm of the world. <laughs> I do not miss being 17. Um, a weird as age. 17 sucks. I didn't realize how much being 17 sucks until I have a 17-year-old. And I was like, oh, shit, like, this really sucks. But I had a different experience at 17. Yeah, you well, know, you had I mean, other
0: things to worry about. Yeah,
1: like, at 17, I wasn't, like, your average 17-year-old, like, locking myself in my room, like, hating life and hating everything. Like, I mean, I was taking care of, you know, what, when I was 17, my sister was 11, and my other sister was mm, shit, five. So I was taking care of an 11- and a 5-year-old. Like, oh, hello. it was crazy. Good so
0: your, do both of your sisters still have a relationship with your mom?
1: Um, no. So, like, we all kind of have a very similar relationship with my mom. Um, my middle sister, Mandy, she definitely is more of, like, the peacekeeper. Mm. So she definitely tries to include my mom in a lot more ways, My younger sister, Marissa, uh, probably out of everyone, she experienced, I experienced more of the abusive side of things. She experienced some after effects with my mom and dad's toxic relationship. Um, My dad ended up being,
0: like, having to be a single parent,
1: and um, he was in jail because my mom, like, made some false allegations for him for a while. Um, So Marissa definitely had, like, a different side of the trauma growing up. And so she has actually pretty much almost completely cut my mom off um, because, like, for her own sanity, she can't handle it. So I'm really proud of her because, you know, she's figuring that out at 26. And when I was 26 years old, I was still trying to figure out, like, how can I make my mom love me, (laughs) you know? So um, she definitely is handling it in a really, I think, positive way, figuring out her own emotional boundaries. So but yeah our all of us like pretty much my mom calls every now and again and um you know most of us like we'll send out a text a group text to each other like hey if your phone rings it's probably mom like be aware because she calls when she's very drunk and um she actually was diagnosed with um I don't know the actual medical term for it which none of us are fucking doctors anyway yet so (laughs) it doesn't matter but like I think it's Neurocephaly or something. Anyway, it's called wet brain. It's where you've you've literally drank yourself so much that you have brain damage. What the? Yeah. So like, she has brain damage. She has cirrhosis of her liver. Um. She also smokes like a pack a day. Um. Her teeth are rotting out of her head. Um. From all her pill abuse. Um. And if you saw my mom, my mom is in her early sixties growing up, my mom was beautiful. Um, my mom was in her early sixties. She looks like a walking skeleton. She looks like she's like 90 years old. Like you're literally watching her decay right in front of you. Cause she's killing herself. Um, and so like we all can't watch that, you know? So
0: I didn't even know. I had never heard of wet brain.
1: I hadn't heard of it either.
0: Cirrhosis um, is, I, I've heard yeah.
1: of that. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, all these things, like, really spiraled in my own head because I started thinking about my mom's own mortality. And I started thinking, like, my mom is going to die and I will have never had a relationship with her. And I will have never heard her say, like, I'm sorry for the shit I put you through. Because I don't think that my mom will ever be able to even acknowledge the shit she put me through until she's sober. Um, because I've tried on so many occasions to to tell her, because I felt like in my mind it would be very healing for me to like tell her. But even when I talk to my dad, which I have a relationship with my dad, it's not super close, but it's you know, um, it's closer than I don't have any other adults in my life, you know, um. But even when I talk to my dad about shit that I remember and shit that I went through, I don't know if he's just kind of like blocked it out in his head or whatever. But he has a hard time admitting what I went through as a kid. Um, and I think a lot of it is just he doesn't want to remember. Mm-hmm. Which it could be from his own shit, like his own shitty marriage that he was living through at the time. And, and I get that, but you know to never have you know i'm about to be 38 fucking years old holy shit you know to, <laughs> to never have had anyone like acknowledge like the shit you went through that's hard yeah and i think that takes away like some ability to heal from it inability ability <laughs> i don't fucking know it makes it difficult yes <laughs> <to heal from.
0: laughs> like, I don't know. do you know if Maybe the way your parents are, your dad being passive, your mom, you know, dealing with alcoholism and all that. Do you know if any of that has to do with how they were
1: raised? Like, were they raised in kind of, like, similar situations? Yeah, for sure. Um, My mom is a product of, like, an alcoholic family. My grandpa um, was an alcoholic. He, He did get sober in the later years of his life before he passed. Um, But it was forced sobriety as a result of his diabetes. Um, To hear stories of it told, my grandpa was abusive to my grandma. Um, So I I think my mom did see that growing up. Um, My dad was the product of an abusive home. My grandma was abusive, if I've heard... Excuse me, stories of my dad. Um, my dad, when he was 14, actually walked from East Ch- No, sorry. Hold on. Can't think. Chicago Heights to in Hammond um, to get to his dad's house because he had to get away from his mom and from then on started living out here. Um, so, like... That's a long-ass walk. That's a long-ass walk. How the walk. Hell do you
0: walk from Chicago Heights to Hammond? I don't know.
1: I don't know how he did it. Um, so... You know I know that my parents like growing up that neither one of them had like an ideal it kind of goes back to what I was saying right like they didn't have a a role model of how to be a good parent Mm -hmm. you know um and I think now like my dad well of course like me and my sisters are all grown right but like now he recognizes like maybe his shortcomings as as a parent and he does try to make up for him in a lot of ways um he tries to like reach out you know like touch base um he loves my niece my nephew like so much like I think though that some of that happened a little late for my dad to have grandparented my own children in the way that he's now grandparenting you know my niece and my nephew but like which is great for them like it does make me sad though for my boys because they're cool. missing out on you know that grandparent relationship um you know they're missing out on a grandma for my mom and then like my dad is just he tries. I I know he does the best that he can. Um he's not great at showing love cuz he was never taught how to be great at showing love. Um but my boys are very fortunate because Jose's parents are like you know Everything that my parents lack for in grandparents, like, they make up for it by leaps and bounds. Like, they're the most wonderful grandparents, and they're very kind, loving. They would do anything for my boy, is like, anything that you could possibly imagine. So, they at least have that. Um, but, yeah, I think that, yeah, neither one of my parents knew. They were both very young. I think they got married when they were 22. Oh, wow. 21, maybe. And... You know, they weren't ready. They weren't ready to have a kid and then they unexpectedly, expectedly, whatever, they complained that <laughs> I was planned or whatever. Um, you know, they ended up having me and um you know, it was the eighties and my mom smoked throughout her entire pregnancy with me. Because it was the 80s, and she just thought, like, I don't know. I don't know shit. Like, did doctors say not to do that back then? It
0: makes a lot of sense not, not yeah, to say. Yeah, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, but anyway, when I was born, like, I I uh, had no oxygen. I was in the NICU for a while. So, you know, not only did, were they not ready to have a baby, but they definitely weren't ready to have, like, me. You know, and I was sick. And then when I finally got to go home, um, you know, they were just a mess. They yeah. were just a mess, and they... They weren't ready to have a kid um and then of course like I started to grow up and I I was a fucking child prodigy no <laughs> <laughs> but I really was like I was really smart as a little kid and I think that they just didn't know what to do with me um you know like I mean I was reading at age three. Oh wow um that I was taught how to read by a neighbor like not even by my parents and um they just didn't know what to do with me and because I acted so grown because I was so smart they treated me like I was grown and they just expected I think a lot out of me um so I think that they just I don't know did they do the best they could probably you know like I try to remind myself like my mom did the best she could you know um, and her addiction like was just her disease and that was it like and it's just very hard We've just now started to talk about addiction as being a disease, Like I feel like, as a society, right? So, a lot of times people say, like, oh, well, it's a choice. And sure, on one hand, yes, you know, people do make the choice to not seek treatment, not get help, not try, but if my mom had cancer, like your mom did, and, you know, she didn't get chemotherapy or whatever, that would be her choice, and people would be supportive of that choice. right? Um, So it's just hard for me navigating this idea of, like, my mom's addiction caused her to be an ugly person. Mm -hmm. And maybe she would have been the same person without her addiction. I don't know. Um, But when I'm processing my feelings as an adult and when I'm thinking about, like, being sad or, you know thinking on mother's day like you know things like that missing having that relationship with my mom like i just have to remind myself like she did the best she could and yeah it was fucking terrible (laughs) yeah (laughs) like it was not good at all it wasn't even a little good it wasn't even like a smidge of good but like she did the best she could and i have to believe that she might have chosen to do differently or do better if she could have right
0: And, you know, those things can coexist. You can acknowledge that your parents did their best and still be hurt by it. Absolutely. And I think that's the part where some people, like some listeners out there, might feel a little conflicted, where you might feel like, like, damn, am I being stupid by setting my feelings aside? Like, am I setting my feelings aside by saying, my parents did the best they
1: could.
0: Yeah. Or am I feeling like an asshole because you no know, fuck that, like that shit still hurt and they can coexist. Yeah.
1: Well and a lot of people don't understand, like they're like, Girl, like this happened when you were a kid and you're thirty seven years old, like let that shit go. Like You can't let you that can't. shit go. <laughs> you can't it seeps into every moment of your life. Like even yeah. when you don't know it, even if yes. when you're not recognizing <laughs> it, like there's shit I still do to this day because of what I went through. I was just filming or recording, whatever, an episode for my podcast, and I was talking about, like, the shit we say about food, right? Like, these food things and these food ideas that consume us, and one of those things I have is, like, this idea of scarcity, because I was taught that there were bad foods, so I would binge eat the shit out of them when no one was around. Because they were going to be gone. Like, as soon as my mom noticed that I was doing that shit, like, my ass was grass. Like, so, like, but, like, even little things like that, right? Like, there's these lifelong traumas that you're never going to get over. But, like, you have to figure out how to navigate them on your own way. Um, And also acknowledging, like, you can still love the people who hurt you so badly. Yeah. You know, like, at the end of the day, it's my mom. And... I might not see her and I might not talk to her and I might have to distance her on my life, but you get one mom and it's okay for me to be pissed at her, like hate the shit she did, like still, cause I'm not over it, but I can also hate her and love her at the same time. That's hard. That's hard to navigate. It's hard to navigate the guilt of like thinking that, you know, like shit, like she was a terrible mother, <laughs> but it's okay to acknowledge that.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I think people will forget that adults are still children. Like we're just overgrown babies, big ass kids. Yeah. So, the things that we experience as as babies, as kids, they're they kind of just linger and we kind of push it to the side because as we get older we have bills to pay, like you got kids, we have full-ass careers, so we kind of have to figure our way around, like work around all that to get our shit done, but when we're in silence and we're being reflective, like that shit surfaces at some point, you know? Absolutely. So do you do, I I know you go to the gym and you teach and all that, but do you do other things that maybe support your healing, like your childhood
1: healing? Um, no. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's valid. I mean, I don't. I'm like, I mean, I've already recognized, like, I definitely need to. Um, I'm right now I'm in the process of finding a therapist that I can connect with yeah. I've not been successful you know like finding a therapist is like dating like, it is like you have to find the people who, who get it and who get you who you feel comfortable with I haven't done that yet um, <laughs> and I know that that will be huge for me but the biggest thing that I've just done is like acknowledge that it's okay to feel the way I feel and be vocal about it um, and be comfortable um, sharing a little bit more and being outspoken or telling people like no shit like my childhood was terrible growing up and like being okay with that and not feeling so ashamed about it um especially in my role as a teacher because kids are shocked when I'm very open about shit like that and I'm very vulnerable with them but I also want them to hear and know like hey like my shit sucked growing up but like guess what like I navigated through it and I work through it and you can do the same too. Like, you know, um, this doesn't have to define you. Like, what you're going through right now doesn't have to define you. And I think sometimes, especially in the world of education, people get so caught up in, like, being professional that they think that because they have to be professional, they have to be cold. Yeah. Or they have to, like, leave out who they are. But, like, all of that shit, who I am, defines me as their teacher. Right. And they should hear it. And they should know. Um, and, like, you know... I don't have to be graphic or give them details but I can also say like hey like you know what for six months when I was 18 I was homeless and like yeah that shit sucked. like I get it
0: and I do like how you pose it to your students where you're not making it like pick yourself up if I did it you didn't you come from a very like the Your intonation they use—it's coming from a caring standpoint, and obviously you're building rapport with your class because they see you every fucking day. Yeah, they have no choice. (laughs) You
1: will like me, no.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so
1: I just—I don't want kids to hear like you know. I think sometimes as adults we share things with like young people, and we mean to be sharing it as a way of being encouraging or being supportive, and they shut down from that because they just hear like I went through this and blah blah blah. And I don't ever want them to hear my voice as that. I just want them to hear, like, hey, it's okay that shit sucks. Um, You know, I've gone through shit that sucks. And, like, I believe in you, and you're strong, and let me know how I can help you get through this shit. Um, You know, sometimes as adults we need to hear that, too. Or we just need, like, a hug. Or just to hear, someone hear our voices. feel validated in our feelings, so. For sure.
0: And finding a therapist, I'm proud of you for even considering that, because... That shit's hard. It's hard as hell. To even think about, like, fuck, like, I need help.
1: (laughs) I mean, and this is, like, I think I went to a therapist once, like, in fifth grade because the school made me because of some, you know, cries for help I was putting out there that weren't received well. Um, So they sent me to, like, mandated family therapy, which, like, hi, the people who are causing me to need this therapy are in the room with me. I'm not going to say shit. (laughs) Now I'm going to get my ass beat some more. (laughs) But, um... You know i'm just now realizing and recognizing like i I need a therapist i need help i can't do this by myself and it's taken me 37 years like that's not something that people in my family did that's not something that people in my circle have done so it's hard except for me yeah well (laughs) you're an exception but like most people i know like if they have seen a therapist it's like very hush hush right like yeah I feel like as the stigma of mental health and mental health awareness is lessening. I wouldn't say it's gone, but it's lessening. People are becoming more aware of, like, mental health issues. People are talking about it more. But for so long, you know, it was just something that people were ashamed about you know like oh I'm on Lexapro but I don't want anyone to know so I'm gonna take my Lexapro out of the container and put it in something else so when I have to take it in front of people they don't know what it is like in a little tin yeah (laughs) because I I was so ashamed it's stupid like the fuck if I had high blood pressure and I was on high blood pressure medication, I'd pop that shit and be like, yep, shit, i got to stop eating all this negative nasty fried food because I have high blood pressure. But, like, I'm trying to fix my brain, I'm trying to get healthy, and we feel shame or stigma around that. So, Or people look at us as like, oh, you're oversharing, and no one cares, or whatever, you know. So, it's just hard balance.
0: It is but I appreciate you for Thanks sharing for me. with us today um, so this is a good example of when you see people out in the streets you don't really know what they've experienced what they're battling and the hurt that we experience as children it still lingers as adults so sometimes it manifests in different illnesses in your body or and behavioral issues like being passive, subjugating your feelings, being a people pleaser, so a lot of that stuff resonated with me too. Um, I've talked about that in other segments, but for those of you that are interested in hearing more about all the things that go with like the fitness world and what you experience, um, do you want to say a little bit about what your po-
1: your podcast is about? Yeah, so um, my podcast, The Fitness Files, is kind of just all about the different facets of fitness. I felt like when I looked at like the fitness industry, right, like I wasn't your typical person. I never felt like I really fit or belonged or that my voice was like a voice that was being shared. You typically see your like super fit people who've been fit forever um, sharing like, you know, all the things that you should do. So my podcast kind of talks about, um, you know, navigating a fitness journey and any journey in life, really. um, Figuring out how to be successful with a weight loss journey, um, conquering some mindset shifts that you need to. So I would love it if you would check me out. You can find me on Apple Podcasts, uh, Anchor, Spotify, all the (laughs) things.
0: And I'll make sure to share your segment on my Instagram as well. Yes. All right, y'all. I appreciate you for listening in, Megan. Thank you for sharing, being for vulnerable, me. and see so you didn't cry. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So if you all want to send a voice note or leave a comment on the socials, you can find me at Esperanza Equity Consulting LLC or EE Consulting LLC on Instagram and Facebook. I will catch y'all later, mi Bye. Bye. Welcome to Como La Flor Con Flor. If you love listening to this podcast as much as I love making it, please consider dropping a little donation. And if you ain't got the funds, that's cool. I would really appreciate it if you could share this podcast with a friend, a family, a fellow metiche, you know, one of them folks, or anyone that you think would resonate with the content that I've been creating. Saludos, se me cuidan. Y se lo lavan.